0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. It's good to see everyone here. I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, We have been looking at the Christmas story back during December time. And let me see if it has to be turned on. We good? Okay. and tonight we're going we, we've been looking at the Christmas story walking through some of the events around the birth of Jesus It might not be as common so we did that through December. Uh, we ended up I love to see that little baby there. Uh, and we ended up in the, the Gospel of Luke and we started talking about the early years and we, we studied about the, uh, the babe of Bethlehem, the babe of Bethlehem. Then we saw Jesus in and, and uh, taking back to uh, the temple for his his dedication at eight days old the early years then we walked with jesus till he was 12 and went back to the temple and stayed there for uh three days and his parents had to come find him then we saw the beginning of his ministry and the beginning of your ministry is supposed to be a really happy time excited and we found out where jesus was led immediately into the wilderness to fight that big fight with the devil because he was destined to defeat satan and tonight, uh, in the early years, we're going to look at Jesus Goes Home to Preach. It's one of his newest, uh, or his first times back to Nazareth to preach in his home synagogue. And I was asking some people out here before the service, um, when someone preaches for the very first time, there's often, um, there, there's often some, some similar things. Either they, uh, they go too long, or they go way, way short. And either one's fine, but that's very, very common if someone's asked to preach for the very first time. uh, I love that opportunity, though. I love to see young men that are called and and, uh, headed into the ministry and given that that first uh, opportunity. But I want you to listen to something for just a few seconds. We're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus tonight to go back to the synagogue in Nazareth and see about his homecoming. Jesus preaches in his home synagogue. But before you do that, would you listen to something here? And I know a lot of times in my life, I've been down, I didn't know where to turn. But I thank God that I've had Jesus Christ. I can't speak for all the young people, but in my opinion, most of us are looking for truth. We want to know what's going on in this crazy and mixed up world. And we want to know how we can change this crazy world into a place where men can be men and where all people live as they should. The Bible says... That's enough of that. Um, that was a cassette tape, by the way. Young people, you know what a cassette is? This was a, this was a long time ago. If you're sitting next to someone that doesn't know, uh, uh, do you know what an album is? It's a big black CD. Uh, I've got a lot of those at home. I finally got a machine that could record my old albums, put them on a thumb drive, and you hear the. I love it. So I got that plugged in my pickup as I drive down the road, and I love those. But that was a cassette with all the squeaking, and that was someone's very first time to speak in church at 16 years old. Can you imagine who it was? My voice was about like this. And I sounded a lot more country, too. And you could hear the sound. I've got uh, many, many cassettes from a long time ago, and that was one of the very first time in the 1970s that the, I found that, recorded it on my phone, and uh, I couldn't believe it when I turned it on. Actually, I could not believe. Who is that speaking? And I remember preaching on what is truth that day, speaking about what is truth uh, as a teenager. Oh, how gracious people were to me when I was a little boy. I mean, they let me speak in the church and then uh, pastor early and people have just been so gracious to me. And some of the very first times that I got to preach were so special. The adults rallied around me and they were smiling and they were laughing and they were praying. They might have been laughing at me. I don't know if that's what... But they were so supportive. And it's just special memories for me Well, I want us to walk back in time a little bit and walk with Jesus back to Nazareth. He's not a 12 year old anymore. He is 30 years old as his ministry begins. He's already gone to fight Satan and defeat him in the wilderness. By it is written, the word of God that's sufficient to fight the battles for us, that sword of the spirit that fights the battles for us in those early years. We've seen the baby of Bethlehem, the boy in the temple, the Savior in the wilderness. And now we're going to see the Messiah in the synagogue. A synagogue was not always something, you don't read about it very much, uh, in, you don't read about it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we had a temple. In the New Testament, this was like um, a new type of thing Similar to what we have in church today where there was a building that someone would go and they would normally be given a, a copy of the scrolls of the Old Testament. And if you've seen those pictures, they're, they're huge scrolls that roll up made out of different uh, materials and they would unroll those scrolls and s- some rabbi, whether it was a traveling rabbi that would come through the city or one that was uh, over the, the synagogue there in that city, the rabbi would be asked to read, and it's, it was very common in the Old Testament for a rabbi to stand to read, and he would sit down to teach. If you've been in Israel right now, and you've gotten to go to the Temple Mount, it's a wonderful place. We know that God is not through with that Temple Mount right now because there are those that are not Christians and not faithful to God uh, that are all over that mountain. But you will still see some people sitting in some chairs. Uh, there will be others gathered around, eight or ten people. And those are rabbis that are doing, just as they did in the Old Testament, teaching a group of, of young men. So Jesus is going to stand up. They're going to give him the the uh, scroll to read out of. They didn't actually tell him where to read. We don't see that anywhere in the scripture. They delivered him the book of Isaiah. I thought about that. Jesus... He could use any text because he is the word of God. He could go to any verse and preach the truth, but he's gonna to go to a specific messianic truth and uh, scripture It's very, very important for us to look at. But I'd love for you to, to walk with me. Think of it as you guys have come back to Nazareth or you live in Nazareth, a little town. You've come to your synagogue you don't know what rabbi is going to speak. It may be the one that talks too, uh, too long. It may be the one you're going to be hungry before he gets through. It may be the one that you really like to listen to, or you get there and there's a guest there. That happens, doesn't it? But today, it's going to be a little bit different. There's a moment in time. You see, our appointments uh, are God's appointments. The steps of good people are ordered by the Lord. So he knew everybody that would be here tonight. Would I love for this room to be overfilled and packed? Absolutely. But I count you, no matter how many of you are here, just as though there's a million people here. You are valuable. You are important. And we're going to walk in the early years when the Messiah goes back to the synagogue. Look with me there that Jared read to us in the beginning of chapter 4, the beginning of about 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. Um, In 1948, there was a boy throwing rocks in caves uh, out in the the, uh, wilderness area. And uh, he heard something break. So he went in there and he found some clay pots, some clay cylinders that contained scrolls. And as they looked in several caves, I've got a picture of myself standing in in front of one of the caves there and remembering that. They found several caves in those hills from a group of people that had separated themselves and lived out in the wilderness. Some people think that John the Baptist was of that group. He might not have been. But they found scrolls where the scripture had been written. And we know them as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And as they searched in all the different caves, they found many, many copies of what we have as our Old Testament. Now, 1948 is not that long ago. People have, for many years, scoffed the Bible. They've spoken against it. And they said... Oh, it's changed so many times. It's, it's not what was written a long time ago. 2,000 years, the New Testament can't be the same. 3,500 years, 4,000 years, it cannot be the same because we just know how it is when we tell oral stories, and they change over time. And I love it because God let that little boy throw a rock, and uh, they found these scrolls, and they began to look at them, and you've probably seen some of them. They found the, the book of Isaiah in its entirety, And you know what they found? What they wrote then is what we have now. God did a miracle in the preservation of his word. So that excites me. The very scroll that Jesus was given that day was the book of Isaiah. Uh, Trivia question, I think I've told you this before. How many books are in the Bible? 66 books. How many of the Old Testament? Uh, 39. How many in the New Testament? 27. How many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? Now we put chapters in. They're not inspired. Chapter 4 verse 16 is not inspired. That's just so we can find our place. But how many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? 66. How many chapters talk about The Old Testament before the Messiah, 39, the same way the books of the Old Testament. How many chapters begin and start talking about the Messiah forward? 27. Isn't that interesting? It's like you've got a compact Bible there in the book of Isaiah. And so that's the scroll that was handed to him. Um, The synagogue wasn't that great. The point I wanna make is, Jesus, who is perfect, the Son of God, didn't say, well, you know, I know there's hypocrites in that synagogue. I'd go to church, but there's hypocrites in that synagogue, and I'm just not gonna go. Uh, he didn't use that excuse. He knew that there were lost, broken people in that synagogue, just like you and I know that there were lost, broken people in the church. I know there are because I'm here. The church is a hospital. I heard that all my life people make excuses. No, there's just hypocrites in that place and I don't want to go. Well, a hypocrite needs to get well. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I came not for the well and the the healthy. I came for those that are ill and sick, that need a physician. And so uh, I wanted to throw that in there because this synagogue wasn't perfect and neither is any other church this side of heaven. There's going to be a perfect church in heaven. Are you ready for that one? It's going to be wonderful. So, Jesus goes to this synagogue. Um, he uh, probably had been there many times before. He probably had sat in those chairs. He had probably made noise a little bit in the service, and Mary had to tell him, Jesus, you need to be quiet, no problem. He had grown up in that area, and this was his hometown. Um, Streaming is something that's new for us today. Welcome to anybody that's listening over technology here tonight. We're thankful for you. We have people from other states that watch, and I'm so very grateful for that. And You are very, very important. Uh, But we haven't had that for very long in all of history. There were people that were shut-ins and those that were ill and those uh, that you had to go and physically go to their homes. That recording that I just played you a little bit of my silly West Texas accent, young voice. Uh, my mother recorded the messages in the church in the 1960s when, uh, when we went to church there, and she would go take them to all the people that couldn't go to church. Uh, she made the commun- communion bread. She made that in our kitchen when we had communion. and So I have great memories of what, what she did there. Um, we do have what's called Zoom, Before 2020, I'd never heard of that word. That was what you did when you Zoomed in to look at it and made it bigger so you could see it. But uh, I'm thankful for Zoom. Technology let us uh, meet together when we couldn't meet in person. But I do want to encourage everyone, not to you because you're here, but those that might use that as uh, just an easy way to stay home and listen to the church. If you're listening here tonight and you could be here, you are valuable and we need your gifts in this place. So I always want to encourage people, uh, if you're healthy and you can, come back. Uh, We need you in the room and not on the Zoom because your gifts are very important. Uh, Luke recorded this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry with his hometown visit. It's interesting, in the book of Luke, we don't see Jesus going back to Nazareth again until the end of his ministry. So it's kind of like bookends. He goes in the beginning of his ministry and then he goes at the end of his ministry. There's three main cities Jesus uh, lived in throughout his life. Bethlehem, where he was born. Nazareth, the city that he grew up in. That was where he was a little boy and that was where he was a teenager and up until he was 30 years old. And then uh, Capernaum. Capernaum is where Peter lived. And it was a home. Peter's house was a home, a gathering place for the disciples, the apostles Jesus called. You might say Bethany also because Bethany was where uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. Jesus spent a lot of time at their home. But the centralized city that he lived in during his ministry was Capernaum. Uh, But Nazareth, I got to say something about Nazareth. Whenever you said somebody's from Nazareth, you're making fun of them. I don't know what city, I wouldn't do that here today because somebody probably grew up in that city. But uh, it would be like, I'm from Breckenridge, Texas. Breckenridge, named after Colonel John C. Breckenridge back during some time, I don't know. But between here and Abilene. And it would be like if I, I introduced myself and yes, I'm from Breckenridge. they say, could anything good come out of Breckenridge? That's exactly what Nazareth was when Nathaniel was uh, called to be with Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, just the Son of God. Just the Son of God. Bethlehem, that little bitty old town, it couldn't be any good. Who could be born? Just the Son of God. So I love that. He was called Jesus of Nazareth. We think of that as just a title, but when they said that, that was making fun of him. Jesus from that old place, that little town. So when you read that in your scripture from now on, realize that they were, they were uh, probably mocking him. Verse 17 said, And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. It was probably handed by, uh, in Hebrew, there's a word called Chazan, C-H-A-Z-Z-A-N. And all that means is that's the song leader. That's Luzfin. Where's Luzfin? You're Chazan for tonight, okay? Chazan hands the, the scroll to Jesus, the Hebrew song leader. And he opened the book, and found the place where it was written. Do you think Jesus had to have tabs in his Bible where he had to find? It? He probably didn't. Did he? He knew where he was going. Opened up that scroll, and he found a specific place. This is recorded in um, Isaiah. The uh, uh, there's part part of things that we're going to read Isaiah eleven, but this is Isaiah sixty one. Um, And he says these words. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You're in Nazareth here tonight, and I read that verse. You probably said, ah, I've already heard this one. Oh, Rabbi so-and-so taught that one so many times last year. He used the same illustrations. His jokes were all the same. I preached for about 43 years. My wife sometimes sits on the back row and she'll say, that's the third time this month you said that one. That's the fourth time. She keeps me in check. But there's probably somebody said, well, I know that verse. I can quote it because we're very familiar with Isaiah 61. These are, that's a messianic prophecy that we're all looking forward to. The Messiah is going to come someday. And I really believe, uh, how many times have you if someone said, we're going we're to study the Lord's Prayer here today, have you had a thought? Well, I know that. I was driving down the road one day listening to Christian radio, and they said, uh, now someone's coming on, and he's going to teach over the 23rd song." And guys, I would never say this out loud in meaning it. I'm going to say it out loud tonight so you'll know me. But uh, I said, I think I got that one. I can diagram the sentences. I have preached on it and taught on it. I've memorized it. I can quote it. I say it all the time. But it was Tony Evans. So in a few minutes, after about 20 minutes with Tony Evans teaching on the, the, uh, the 23rd Psalm, I wondered whether I knew it at all, if I knew any of the words at all, because he exposited it so well. I think that's what Tommy does so well. He unpacks the scripture, and that's expositions, what that is. So, you're sitting here tonight and uh, you're in Nazareth. You're hearing Jesus reading that. It's very, uh, very familiar to you. I would warn us all against familiarity because you may be familiar with the words of the Bible, but this Bible, this book's alive. It's not like your history or your science book that you've already studied that chapter. We're going to do parallelograms. I got it. I already know it. This book is alive every time you read it. It's spirit and it's life every time we read it God wants to speak to our heart and change us I had a neighbor one time I think I've told you came to our men's conference and he was so excited after he came and he said I didn't know you are supposed to read the Bible all the time I read it once and I thought I failed as a neighbor pretty badly I think these words are important I want you to see what he wrote uh, what he read there that day though The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Those words were reserved for whoever the Christ was going to be. Whoever the Messiah was going to be that came to the earth was going to be one with the Holy Spirit. And so that's very important. When Jesus read that to them, it would have been very familiar to them. But in this case, the one who this was written about, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, he's not there yet. They haven't heard him say that yet, but that's the truth. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. We uh, misuse that word sometimes. To anoint means that God has placed a special dispensation, a blessing, something he wants to use us for. I say this all the time, but it's very true. Your testimony is very, very valuable. I can preach, I can teach, others can, but your story is what someone needs to hear. And Christ can use that in their lives. So I encourage you to do it. Write it down, record it, practice telling it. And your testimony is very important. So he says, because he has anointed me. So the Holy Spirit's gonna be present whenever these verses are gonna be fulfilled. There's gonna be a special anointing, a special power given For a purpose. And certainly the Messiah was going to be anointed. Before I read any further, remember what you guys have been waiting on. You guys have been waiting on a military leader to come and kick all these Romans out of of Israel. That's what you're thinking of when you're thinking of the Messiah. Every one of you young ladies that, that get married and want to have a child, you're wondering could I be the mother of the Messiah? Could you imagine Mary when Gabriel came to her and called her blessed? Because all young Jewish women wondered, uh, would I be the one to give birth to the the Messiah? But the Messiah was not gonna come and be a military leader. He was gonna come and be a suffering servant and a suffering savior. So those first two things are very important. When the Messiah came, he's the only one that could have read these words and that be accounted to him. The spirit of the Lord's upon me, he has anointed me, Two. And we're going to see five different things that the Messiah, whenever he got there, was going to be able to do supernaturally, way above everyone else. Now, there were prophets of the Old Testament. God used Elijah and Elisha, and he used Daniel, and he used Abraham and Moses, and he used many, many people of the Old Testament. But these verses are talking about when the one comes. He's the one. He's going to be able to do these things. Look at the first one he's going to preach the gospel to the poor that's real important to realize something here a Jewish person didn't think he was poor a Jewish person said we've got God we're his people so as long as I keep the sacrifices and I keep the feasts and I obey him I'm not poor I'm rich so that's not going to be talking to me They didn't realize that they were poor. In one of the letters to the churches in Revelation, you don't realize that you're poor, and wretched, naked, and blind. When you became a Christian, before you became a Christian, did you have to realize you were a sinner? I doubt anyone's salvation if they said, yeah, I'm a good guy and God wants me on his team. So he just asked me to join his team. No, I knew I was a sinner. At eight eight years old, my heart broke because I did something that I shouldn't have done. So when the Messiah comes, he's going to preach the gospel. Gospel means good news. He's got a message. It's not going to be like before. There's going to be a new message, and he's going to preach it to the poor, people that admit they are poor. Number two, when the Messiah comes, this passage Jesus read, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Now, a Jewish person in that day wouldn't admit that they're in jail, that they're a captive, or they're bound by something. God is the God of Israel. We're God's people, and we're not in chains. We're not bound by anyone. But the fact was, they were. They were bound by their sin, just like you and I and everyone else are. So this message is gonna come from Messiah, but this group of people doesn't think that he's really talking to them. He's gonna be able to preach the gospel to the poor. He's gonna proclaim release to the captives. And aren't you glad he does that today? If anybody's here tonight and you've had trouble with an addiction or you've had struggles with anxiety or depression or fears or doubts, that is a bondage. It is like you're in jail. Jesus can set us free. The gospel of John tells us, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And that's what Jesus does. He can break the chains that bind us. He can take away our jail sentence and set us free. When I get to heaven, I believe there's going to be a man named Barabbas there. I really believe there is. I believe he was the one that was guilty of murder and insurrection, trying to overthrow the the, the Romans and the, the just causing all kinds of trouble in Israel. And he gets a message at the time of the Passover when Jesus is there. Barabbas, and he was probably violent. He was probably tough. He probably didn't speak very well. But he hears someone call his name and he's probably expect, expecting to be beaten or it may be time for his execution. He's sentenced probably to die. But the message comes to him in the jail cell, Barabbas, and I can just picture that guy. You're not gonna believe this. I'm gonna let you out of jail. Yeah, right. No, I'm gonna let you out of jail. How, how can you do that? Because there's somebody else that's gonna take your punishment because you don't have to. Now, he might not have asked questions and said, let me out of here. Or he might have said, what do you mean? But somehow, I believe Barabbas heard about Jesus. There's a one named Jesus from Nazareth. That's going to die on a Roman crucifix, and he's going to take your place, and you're going to be released at the time of the Passover, which was custom for Roman to do that to appease the Jews. I've thought about that a lot in my life. I know who Barabbas was. Do you know? He was me, he was you. We were sentenced already to eternal death. But there's some good news someone's going to take your punishment and you can be set free. That was the gospel. That's what the Messiah was going to preach, the gospel to the poor. He was going to proclaim release to the captive. And if you're here tonight and you want prayer, I'll stay with you and pray because Jesus is still in the business of releasing the captives and setting them free. Number three, and recovery of sight to the blind. In the eighth chapter of the gospel of John, Jesus heals a blind man that was born blind. That had never been done before had never heard of that before and the Messiah was going to be able to do supernatural miracles and that's why this is a messianic prophecy he has sent me he's anointed me I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor I'm going to proclaim uh, release to the captives and I'm going to preach the recovery of sight to the blind well the Jews probably wouldn't want to hear that because if Jesus is saying to them you're blind They would say, no, we're not. We're Israel. We're the God of God's favorite people. We have the God of Israel. I'm not blind. I'm chosen. But they didn't know that they were blind spiritually. Jesus was going to come and give recovery, not only to literal recovering of sight to the blind while he walked on this earth, but he was going to give supernatural healing so we could see spiritually. Ephesians chapter one says, when we come to know Christ, we have the eyes of our understanding enlightened. Someone turns the light on and all of a sudden we go, ah. Messiah, number four, he's gonna set free those who are oppressed. I can't wait to talk to Mary Magdalene in heaven. Mary Magdalene had seven demons inside of her and probably had been mistreated by men, mistreated, abandoned by her family, her physical body, because Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, was probably maimed or sick or hurt or injured. Um, But Jesus, this woman who was oppressed, he relieved that oppression and set her free. That's what the Messiah was gonna do. And then fifthly, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In other words, to say, it's time. God's gonna do it now. It's time for all this to take place. Now again, these Jewish people in Nazareth, you guys heard this message many times, haven't you? You've heard Isaiah. You've heard a lot of things from Isaiah. So nothing's new. Nothing's new except you and I don't know we're blind and we're oppressed and we're in jail and we need a savior. It's interesting, if you go back and read Isaiah 61, Jesus stopped and didn't read the next verse. You know what the next verse that he could have read was? It's not only the day or the time to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, but the next one is, and the vengeance of God. When you look around the world today, do you want some justice? I'm not talking about what the so-called social justice movement. I'm so against what they're saying there. I never want to mistreat anyone. I never have. I've never been in in any way kind of wanting anyone harm. I don't care what language they speak, what country they come from, whether they're short or they're tall or what color of skin they have. I don't care. They're my brothers and sisters if they know Jesus and they're the brother and sister of mankind even if they don't yet. I don't agree with a lot of those things. First of all, how many of us would truly want justice, complete justice? Would any of us be here tonight if we had already received the fair justice of God Almighty? No. The wages of sin is, we'd be toast. <laughs> we'd be gone. So justice of God is tempered with mercy. And you know what? will solve all the problems of all the, the, the things we have in our countries today. You know what it'd be? Jesus just said, love your neighbors yourself. If I love you like Jesus did, it'll solve all those things. All of those walls will fall down flat. When that teenager, Botham John, you remember that? When that man was killed, whatever the police officer did, uh, whether it was an accident, she knew what she was doing, she needs Jesus too. But when that brother on that stand that day, he turned to that judge and said, can I give her a hug? And the judge was stunned. Do you remember? didn't say a word. He had to repeat it again. Can I give her a hug? And the judge said, yes. And he went down there and he hugged the woman that had killed his brother. And he said, my brother would want you to know Jesus. One of the clearest examples of the gospel I've witnessed in my life. That ought to be played every night on the news instead of all this other stuff. That's what the Messiah was gonna do. He's gonna pro- proclaim the, the acceptable year of the Lord. Now there is, that next verse is gonna happen. There's gonna be a day when the vengeance of God's gonna come. God's gonna make every wrong right. He is, people think, I got by with it. Nobody knows. No, R.G. Lee was a famous pastor. He was just well-known but he preached a sermon a long time ago, payday someday. Have you ever noticed or seen circumstances where you kind of wish somebody would get what they deserve right now? Well, God's more patient than we are, but he's told us there'll be payday someday. And we're in the age of grace right now, so that's why we want people to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. You're sitting in Nazareth. I've heard this all before. It's interesting. But look at verse 20. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Remember, he stood up to read, and he sits down to teach. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Very customary for the one to speak, uh, to expound on the scripture, and everybody starts looking and listening. What's he going to say? Now, there's probably some people that grew up with Jesus. I wonder what Jesus is going to talk about today. I remember playing with him out there, you know, behind his house not long ago. I wonder what he's going to talk about today. The disciples probably, some of them were there. I wonder if he's going to, what he's going to do. Uh, there's going to be more disciples called later. His mom might have been there that day. Well, I wonder what Jesus is going to talk about today. There could have been a rabbi there. We're letting Jesus talk today, uh, but we don't know what he's going to say. Oh, but Jesus knew, didn't he? He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They're staring at him. And he began to say to them. Now, up till this time, he has read the scripture. They were probably very familiar with it. You haven't heard anything new that you you haven't heard before, even if you didn't understand it or I didn't understand it. But then it says, he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, up until that time, they knew that this was a prophecy of the Messiah, and really only the real Christ, whoever he was, would be able to say it's happening today. Up until that time, they heard Jesus, they had probably heard him many times, but now they have to make a decision. They have to make a decision. If they're a good Jew, they know that those words are from God and we should say I believe what the Bible says but here this man said these words that I know are true from God, he's saying it's happening today and he's claiming to be the one these words were written about. Now I want you to think with me for a second. When he said that, the people would have to make a choice. They would have to ask the question Do I believe that Jesus fits this scripture? This is talking about the Messiah. Does Jesus fit this scripture? Walk with me through this. Was the Spirit upon him? Well, it was. The second thing was he anointed? Was he anointed? They said, This man speaks like no one else speaks, he speaks as one with authority. So they couldn't deny that he was not anointed. Did he preach good news to the poor? Wherever Jesus went, he preached good news to the poor. So those people listening say, "I have to make a decision here. I'm going to find something in this verse that proves it wasn't Jesus. They haven't found it yet. Did he preach release for captives that have been been enslaved and bound, and, and you can be set free? He did, so I can't deny that part of the scripture. Uh, The the recovering of sight to the blind. Was Jesus going to be able to do that? I can't say he's not the one because of that because he fits that. Is he going to set the oppressed free? Yes, he is. Is he going to tell of a good time that God was showing favor? The Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. I want to ask you, can you see, they would have to say... Well, I know that's God's word. And I can't find any reason why this one guy named Jesus doesn't fit all those words, but I'm just not going to believe. Everybody in the synagogue that day is going to make a choice. Oh, what would have happened if they had said, Hey, Jesus fits every one of them. Could he be the one we've been waiting on and the whole hometown synagogue rise up and say, hallelujah, praise God. The Messiah's come and he's one of us. Look what it says a little bit further, verse 22. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? So at the first time, when Jesus got to preach back in his hometown synagogue, they were all happy. They're all excited. Jesus has come home, and it says there, they're all speaking well of him. Now, taking those things that I read to you just a while ago, that he was was anointed, that the Spirit was on him, he was gonna preach to the poor, he was gonna proclaim liberty, uh, release to the captives, sight to the blind. Set free those that are oppressed and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It's time now. If you were a lawyer, we got some lawyers here tonight, by the way, and you had to just look at the facts, could you argue that you could prove Jesus wasn't any of those things? You could try every way you wanted to, but you could not give irrefutable evidence that Jesus wasn't those things he read that day because he fit every one of them. There were hundreds of messianic prophecies. The chance that one man could fulfill a few of those is astronomically uh, unlikely. And yet Jesus fulfilled all of them. And so you'd lose that, that case if you were trying to argue that Jesus wasn't those But they have a decision to make. I have to either say, no, this isn't the one. He may look like him. He's not the one. But we're going to wait for somebody else. Or we have to say, he is the one we've been waiting for. All were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? In my little way, nothing compared to Jesus. But that little voice you heard on that recording with the the squeaking of that cassette tape. When I got through, those adults gathered around me and they were patting me on the back and my mother was smiling and she was happy and and everybody was so happy and they encouraged me and I couldn't even remember what I said after that. I was just smiling and people were so kind and nice to me. Evidently, that's what happened at the beginning. They all spoke well of him. They were wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And then he went a little further. He said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. When Jesus hung on the cross, what did people cry out? If you're the son of God, come off the cross, heal yourself. But he wouldn't do that because he had to suffer in your place and mine. You're gonna quote physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They would heard, they're gonna hear about miracles. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to do miracles in other towns, and you're going to want me to come do it here in the hometown. But I tell you, one of the reasons why I can't do some of those miracles, he explains later, is because you guys don't believe. And notice what they said. Is this not Joseph's son? What would they have said if they would have truly believed? Is this not the son of God? Is this not the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on? They're looking at him as a human. We know he grew up here. We know all about him. We know his family. His dad's a carpenter. We know his brothers and his sisters. Surely he's not the one. You know what? Those people had to make a decision about Jesus that day, and we do too. When you hear about Jesus, somebody witnesses to you, you and I make a decision, don't we? We either say, Lord, give me ears to hear. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart and save me. Or we say, no. I'll do it when I'm older. I wonder how many young people never live to be old, but they said, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Uh, If any of you here tonight are called to preach and you're headed toward the ministry, I want to encourage you something. Don't set up a church in your hometown. Just go somewhere else because Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown. And we can... We can see that. I know who you are. Um, maybe my older brother's not listening tonight. If you are, Rocky, uh, just stick your fingers in your ears right now. But my older brother and two sisters went through school ahead of me. Um, all of them are great people. Uh, they, uh, I love them, brothers and sisters. One's already deceased. I love them they were just as tel- intelligent and everything but uh, how can I put this they had a they had a little uh, they had a little trouble sometimes in not getting in trouble can I put it like that uh, when the report cards came home sometimes dogs buried them and the our parents could never find them and they you know that kind of thing so when five years came along between my older sister and myself, five, seven, and nine years older were my brothers, I came, and guess what the principal knew about me? He knew my older brother. Um, And my older brother, before he got saved, was a rascal. Uh, He really was. They knew my older brother. They knew my older sister. So when I got there, that's one of those Spencer's. And that could very well have happened often for Jesus. Jesus, we know your daddy. We know where you've been working for him. We know your family. That's not what the Messiah is supposed to be. And they had to make a choice about him. Every one of us in this room tonight and everybody listening through that technology, we've made a choice about Jesus. Jesus. We're either going to give him everything, yield to him, trust him, follow him, love him, serve him. And even when it gets tough, we're still going to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Or we're going to shrink back some way and say, maybe it's not that way. Truly, you'll say to me, Physician, heal yourself. I say to you, no prophets is is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now, you guys aren't going to like this part of it either because what Jesus is saying, I want to tell you, there were a whole lot of widows during this time of Elijah, but all of those Jewish people They didn't trust that God was using Elijah and a Gentile woman, God sent Elijah to her and saved her from dying. Now by by this time, there's some people that were talking nice about Jesus. They're probably hitting each other. Did you hear what he said? He's talking about us. He's talking about Gentiles getting the blessing of God before us. We're Jews. We're the people of God. And Jesus said, God did, uh, didn't send Elijah to anybody back during that time except to a Gentile widow woman because that Gentile widow woman believed. He tells another story. And Elisha the prophet, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman is a Syrian. That was the enemy of Israel that came and attacked them often and they were cruel, cruel people. But you remember Naaman Naaman who heard from a little girl, a captured, human-trafficked little girl from Israel who was a slave in Naaman's household. And Naaman had leprosy. And you couldn't get healed from leprosy except God did a miracle. And that little girl who could have been vindictive had said, I'm not going to tell them about the miracle of God because I'm a slave. She wouldn't like that. She said, oh, that my master was in the land of Israel. Because there's a God in Israel that could heal him from his leprosy. And Naaman reluctantly went and and the prophet told him, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you'll become clean. And six times he dipped himself in that river and he was still a leper. But on that seventh time, when he obeyed fully the will of God, he came up and the Bible says that man who was a leper, no cleansing, no healing for that, you had to stay away from everybody because leprosy could be very contagious. Some had to live in caves outside the city. When someone came close to them, they would have to yell, unclean, unclean, so someone else wouldn't come and catch leprosy. What a life he had to live. But on that seventh time, the Bible says that he came up out of that water and his flesh was like a little baby's flesh. Is that little baby's flesh back there, it soft? Ooh, isn't it soft to touch the the cheek of that little baby there. So good to see you guys. That's what Naaman was like when he came up out of that water. And Jesus says, there were a whole lot of Israeli Jewish widows during that time, but they didn't get healed. Well, by now, all those that were speaking well of Jesus are thinking, I don't like what he's saying. The old timers used to say, he has quit preaching and gone to meddling. In other words, he quit preaching. He's talking to me. Well, I'm so thankful that an eight-year-old boy whose voice was higher than that that I played to begin with tonight heard the voice of Jesus talking to me. And I had a mama that told me, go in your room and you talk to Jesus about it. And in 1968, 1400 West Walker in Breckenridge, Texas. The house is not there anymore. There's a car wash there. I've always thought about that a place to you get your car clean. Something else got clean that day in 1968. Because I was worse than a leper, I was worse than a widow starving. I was lost. But the same one who said, He's coming. He's here, is the one who did a work in my life. You have a story like that too, I'm sure. John 12, 37 says this, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. You see, some people of the scripture said, if I could just see a miracle, I would believe. That wasn't true because Jesus did one miracle after another and it didn't mean those people believed. The Jews were greatly upset that he would honor a Gentile woman, a widow, and a Syrian army man above them. They refused to admit they were blind and poor and in prison and oppressed. And those who were speaking well of him, Jesus' hometown visit to his own synagogue turned into a mob. Verse 28, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. Now, how many verses is that away? Verse 22, all were speaking well of him, but by verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. How quickly things can change. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. How would you like for your first sermon in your hometown church? They want to take you outside the city limits and kill you. The Messiah went to his hometown and that's how he was received. I got to stand on a place called the Mount of Precipice in Israel. And they say that's the place where they tried to throw Jesus down. I'm not sure if it is, but uh, it, was, uh, it would certainly uh, probably kill someone if they were thrown off that. And I was just really impacted that they could have listened to his words and believed the scripture and, and followed him and had life change. But, but they said No. We could be sitting here tonight and Jesus wants you to do something. It may be something in his word, some problem you're struggling with. Well, we're all struggling. We're all broken people. We all need the great physician to heal us. But the danger is we keep saying, I don't believe it or I won't do it. Like the crowd that day. Oh, please say yes to him. He'll help you. He'll do everything for you. All the people in the synagogue took him and they tried to drive him out of the city, let him down, throw him down the brow of a hill that he might die. And then verse 30. We don't know how this happened. If you watch the chosen, he just turned around and said, I'm going through this crowd. I'm just going back. I believe it was a miracle. And I'll tell you why. It says, but passing through their midst, he went his way. Satan wanted Jesus dead. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. The people bound in their sins wanted Jesus dead. All the demons of hell wanted Jesus dead. But do you know why they couldn't kill him? John 7, 20 and John 8, 30, Jesus said these words, My time has not come. my time has not come. And it wasn't until Calvary, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Last Supper in in Calvary, that Jesus said to his disciples, it's time, it's time. I believe in a supernatural miracle. Jesus turned and walked through them and they were not allowed to touch him any further. But when the Garden of Gethsemane came, Jesus' force field. You ever seen those movies where they have a force field? Uh, I grew up watching Star Trek, and all they had to do when the Klingons come, all you have to do is put up your force field, and they just can't shoot through it. Jesus had a force field. It was called the will of God. But when it came to the Garden of Gethsemane, he lowered that force field. When they came to arrest him in the garden that night, he said, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, that same thing, Mount mock And he said, I am he. You Remember what happened? It knocked them all flat on their back. He just wanted to let them know, you're not taking my life. I'm going to give it. He lowered his force shield, and he said, take me. And he did that for you. He did it for Nazareth. He did it for Denton and Crumb and Sanger and Argyle. He did it for you and me. He passing through their midst, he went their way. James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. How was Jesus' hometown visit? Did they give him the keys to the city? Did they throw a parade and say, greatest sermon I've ever heard? No, try to kill him. So I just want to encourage any young men here tonight, if you're about to preach your first sermon, uh, get ready. (laughs) Hope it'll be better than that. But that's what Jesus did for you and me. His early years of ministry are something so far, aren't they? He's fought with the devil in the wilderness. And he's fought against sinners in the synagogue. And he's been rejected by his own hometown people. But we're not through yet. Because Lord willing, as we go ahead, not tonight, as we go ahead, we're going to see that there's some people who hear his message and they come to him and they fall on their knees and they cry out to him and he changes their lives, forgives them of their sins and he sets the captive free. Aren't you glad? It's what he did for me. It's what he'll do for us. The hometown boy went to the hometown synagogue. Some rejected him, but he didn't quit. He went ahead knowing that God's will was going to be for people like you and me that would hear the gospel. The early years. We're going to look a little further, Lord willing, in the book of Luke about the early years, and then we're going to look at the wonder years. If you're under 30, you don't know what the wonder years television program was, do you? Go look it up this week, if you will. We're going to look at the wonder years when Jesus began to do miracles in the gospel of Luke. Luke that the Messiah was the only one that could do. You're important. You're valuable. We are glad you're here. If this is your first time, we'd love to get your email so I can make sure you're on on the list to email. If you have any questions about the church, I'll give you one of my cards. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, We have an elder here with us in the church. We're very, very thankful for that. So if you need to talk to someone, you come tonight. Pray with me. Father I thank you so much for Luke who loved to tell this story and he wrote it down so that it would be just perfect I thank you Lord for those that would hear the gospel message that were in prison and you set them free and they were oppressed and you took that oppression away from them you proclaimed the acceptable and the good year of the Lord it was time for it to happen and they heard the gospel preached they were set free And I want to thank you, Lord, for all of us here tonight as we've thought what it would be like to be back in Nazareth. All of us here tonight that are saved, you've done that same thing for us. We might not have had leprosy. We might not have been a widow that was about to die. And we might not have been uh, poor or in jail or oppressed in ways that others have, but we were something. We were separated from a holy God. So Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your ministry that you didn't stop even though your own people rejected you. You kept on. And I thank you, Lord, that you called many people to yourself. Bless us here tonight if there's someone who's not saved. Would you speak to them? Cause them to make a decision like those people in the synagogue that day. But, oh, Lord, we pray they make the decision to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Thank you, Lord, for Luke and for this passage in Jesus' name. Amen.